You are listening to episode 159 of This is Type 1. Today, we're talking about expectations and boundaries surrounding diabetes and the different relationships in your life. And we're actually grouping these into a few different buckets for context. So feel free to pay attention to the bucket that applies to you the most. First off, we're going to start with the definition of boundaries. I think a lot of people actually confuse what a boundary is by thinking it means that it's a consequence that somebody else is going to pay for, like somebody else has to do something in order to meet your boundary. But that's actually not true. Boundaries are rules that you set in place in your life to protect you. And they're always set out of love. They're not to punish somebody else. And they're also not to control other people. I think what people get most wrong about boundaries is that when we do it, we're not trying to punish somebody else. So it's not like you have to meet my my requests or my needs in order for me to be happy about it. It's things that are governing your actions. And the key point with boundaries is that you have to be willing to follow through on that action that you set for the boundary. So as an example... Let's say you're at somebody's house and one of your boundaries is you don't want to be around uh, somebody who smokes. Maybe that boundary is you leave if somebody else starts smoking. You can certainly ask them to stop, but them not stopping does not mean they have crossed your boundary. It just means that they have not met your expectation. And the boundary would be you leaving instead of sitting there and dealing with it and like feeling terrible and feeling like that person is an awful person because they keep smoking and you didn't want them to. It's a really a different definition than we've traditionally um, thought about boundaries. So that's, I think, where we want to start off. So when it comes to yourself, there are a couple of different boundaries you can set and kind of what they look like. So self-talk is a really big one. And this is one that I personally struggle with a lot too, is self-talk. So a boundary for myself is like, I don't necessarily like talk about my way with other people or my, my exercise routine or something like that with other people or to myself or like, I feel bad that I ate this extra carby granola bar because, and it doesn't even matter why the fact is of the matter is, is that I'm talking negatively to myself. So that self-talk needs to stop. And that's that boundary for myself, how busy you are. This is also what I struggle with when it comes to wanting to do everything all at once. For example, with this, I considered this summer or this next upcoming semester to do 15 credits, playing rugby, traveling with that, and working two jobs. So clearly, this is an example of me wanting to do everything and anything possible that I can. But understanding the fact that I only have so much amount of time in a day. And I need to set some of that time for myself as well and for homework. So the solution was that I quit my second job and I'm going back to being a barista for the rest of the semester, which works really well for me and school and rugby. And that's it. I think a good thing to keep in mind with how busy we are is to not do things at the expense of our health. And I've gotten a lot better over probably the last year, two years about boundaries around my sleep. So I refuse to say yes to invitations to go out way past my bedtime. Last night, for example, we were planning to go to Zoom Bible study, which happens at like starts at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and would go for an hour. 
And usually we just like zoom in instead of driving to the church, especially during the heat waves. <laughs> but last night I was just so tired that I decided I'm not going to go. I'm going to ask my husband to take extra notes and I'm just going to go to sleep. And that's, that's kind of ties into something we're going to talk about further down, which is self care. But having those very clear boundaries with yourself about what you're willing to do in terms of how busy you are, that's something you want to get very clear on. Because we can end up having a lot of different projects going on at any given time. We can get, we can like start chasing all the shiny objects, but it really comes down to prioritization. And I honestly don't like the word busy. I would rather use the word productive or something that's less of a corporate badge of honor. (laughs) That's how I'll put it. Work-life balance. That's what we're saying here. Work-life balance. So what you commit to, and this kind of speaks to a little bit of what your priorities are. So for me, it's school first, rugby, work. And I know that's kind of out of order or to somebody else, it might seem out of order. But to me, it makes perfect sense because one, to get my degree, I do have to go to school and I need to get good grades to keep my scholarship. So that has to be my number one priority. Rugby comes second because I love it so, so much. And it keeps my like body and my mind healthy. Although I do end up with bruises sometimes. And that's just a part of the sport. And then work is last because yes, it does keep me doing something and getting an income and having disposable income for school and gas and stuff like that. And to live my like to help me live my life a little bit. But I also have enough saved up where I don't necessarily need to worry about that right now. So that's why that's last. It's because it's just not as much of a priority as school and rugby are, which are really important to me. So being attentive to what you're prioritizing and what you're then putting your full commitment into that top number one thing, and then kind of dialing it down for the rest of the stuff, if that makes sense. So ownership over your type 1 diabetes. This is a big one, especially for teenagers or people who are transitioning from mom and dad helping take care of me to I'm now taking care of myself. That is a big one. Having that statement of I'm now taking care of myself. This is my diabetes and I am going to figure out the way that I want to do this for myself. And we're going to kind of talk about that too when it comes to like doctors and stuff like that a little bit later on in the episode. But saying that this is my type 1 diabetes, like even just to get your day started can be huge on that kind of like reflection level. And then, okay, so self-care. If this happens, then I will take care of myself or take care of it. If there's a problem, then I'll take care of it. Or if I've had a really busy week, I'm going to take care of myself on a Friday and go out and get myself my favorite meal, which is a poke bowl from Yo Poke in Bozeman. But basically having those like little, little like moments of joy that you can like have that might not be dependent on something material, but more of like something that you want to do really badly that makes you feel good long term. That can be self care and or journaling or, you know, even buying something for yourself like, oh, this $5 necklace. I love it so much. It would make me really happy. That's self-care. I would say a good question to ask yourself in this situation or this instance is, given what's happening, what is the most loving thing I can do for myself? And if that means saying no to something, then there you go. That's a boundary (laughs) or an expectation for yourself. And it's Mm self-care. Okay. So now moving on from yourself to boundaries set with parents, siblings, and family. This is huge. 
So when you, when others think they have the answers, you don't necessarily have to listen to them or you can listen and it can go in one ear and out the other. You don't have to have a huge impact. It doesn't have to have a huge impact on your life or what you do. And, or you can also say no when they give you unsolicited advice that you really don't need about your diabetes specifically, like how fruit and being vegan will solve all of your problems. It doesn't. And you can figure out. When I, see, when I think about this, I think about the quote from, um, I think it's Avengers, Nick Fury. Like, I recognize that the council has made a decision, but given it, that it's a stupid decision, I'm elected to ignore it. Ignore it. <laughs> and you can say it in a less less Nick Fury way, yeah, but still be respectful and say, like, I thank you for your opinion, but I'm going to live my life how I want to live my life. That or you don't even have to, like, justify what you say. You can just be like, oh, thanks. And move on and just not even elaborate on like if you're going to do it or not. They don't have any say. No offense to parents, siblings, or families out there who are listening to this, but not necessarily do you have any say in your child or friend's family's life when it comes to diabetes or in general. So keeping that in mind, when it comes to answering questions from parents, siblings, and family, it can be a little bit more intimate than it can be with strangers. And we'll get into strangers here in a little while. But when it comes to answering questions, you can set those boundaries. Like, what does your blood sugar look like when you're on your period? You don't have to answer that. You can just be like, that's a little too personal. Like, I know we're related, but that's just like, that's a little too much. And, or you could just be like, that's a good question. I'll have to look into that. You can play dumb, even though you might know the answer, but to get out of kind of answering questions like that, like where it's just too personal, like even if they kind of were persistent, like, oh, come on, I know you know, or like your great aunt Susan being like, oh, sugar, it does, it's not bad for you. Or like they want to ask questions. You can just be like, well, Google also has the answers, but you don't have to answer questions you don't want to, especially from family members too. It's kind of like when you get together at like Thanksgiving and Christmas and you have that long lost relative who you only see once every five years and they're like, why haven't you given your mother a grandchild yet? And we're just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, people, especially in your family, can feel a lot more comfortable with asking potentially invasive questions. So it's important to understand what your limit is. And how you want to respond when those situations occur. Because guaranteed, at some point, they will occur. Another one kind of similar to this is when your parents ask you your blood sugars. Now, for people who have moved out, this can kind of be... I would give it some grace, first of all. Like from either your parents taking care of all the diabetes to you taking care of it. And or you moving out and you're you know fully responsible for your diabetes. They will ask this... Every single time that you call or they call and it will go on for a while, you just have to gently remind them being like, it's okay. They're good. I'm fine. Like they're just at, it's another way of them asking if you're doing okay and checking up on you. And it's at, when parents ask it, it's out of a place of love. I would, if you want to answer it, go for it. If you don't just be like, oh, they're pretty good right now. You know, I tried something new and it's working out really, really well. And just kind of brush it off a little bit and change the change the topic. They'll get like eventually how, get the hint. <laughs> I like how you're being really vague just about your blood sugar. Oh, they're good. Not a specific number. And there might be like an adjustment period between when you're a teenager in your parents' house and when you're an adult and your parents are asking what your blood sugars are, where 
you still feel obligated to tell them and it's uncomfortable if you don't. Yeah. Nowadays, when my mom asks for my blood sugar, I'm like, oh, it's 150 something or 100, yeah. like 100. And so I, I'm just okay with giving her that answer. But when I was a kid, it really got on my nerves whenever my parents asked what my blood sugar was because it was usually in response to me having an emotional reaction to something. Yes. <sighs> and I mean, even now, like a couple of weeks ago, I had a meltdown with my endocrinologist about something else. And she asked me my blood sugar and I said, it's not always about my blood sugar. And it's my blood not. sugar was fine. Yeah. So even though it happens even now with like medical yeah. professionals, it's Absolutely. okay to respond that way, especially if you don't feel like it's a relevant question given yeah. that your your blood sugar is fine at the moment. But when parents are asking your blood sugars, remember that yes, they are doing it out of love. It's not a like a control tactic, although some parents probably will use it as a control tactic, especially when you're younger. Having those boundaries when you're older really helps you keep the distance. And we did a whole episode on this, episode 62, about setting boundaries with your parents. So if that's a point of contention for you specifically, please go back and listen to that one. Yeah. And then how to respond to diabetes jokes. I was always very bad at this because I took them seriously. I hate diabetes jokes. I will just say, and I've also heard I will not like the movie Purple Hearts because the main character is type 1 diabetic and it's total misrepresentation of type 1 diabetes. And like, I've heard things from my friends and they're just like, do not watch it. It will upset you. Anyway, sidebar. But when it comes to diabetes jokes, especially from like, middle school to high school they're so stupid they're just so dumb like the jokes themselves are awful but a really good way to respond to this is actually respond to it seriously being like oh you thought i was fat as a child interesting i didn't know you then were you and just kind of turn it back on them a little bit if that's where you kind of want to go you don't necessarily have to be like super nice and peppy about it or like i remember there was one time where some kid was like, oh, you can't eat that. You're diabetic. Like you were too fat as a kid. That's you can't eat that now. Just kind of like sarcastic banter. I'm like, actually, you're wrong. And you explain to them why they're wrong and how they're wrong. Not only is it educating them, you're also getting the point across that that wasn't funny to anybody, especially to the diabetic and or just be like, you know, I'm diabetic, right? Like, you know, I'm actually like, I have diabetes. Like, you know, I have that. That's not funny. Like, you can literally tell them it's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I usually use opportunities like that as teaching moments. Yeah. Although there are some cases, especially with family members who, when they make ignorant comments or they make a joke or they try to tell me they know, know something more about diabetes than me, I'm like, did you just, you know who you're talking to, right? <laughs> Oh, how long have you had it again? Oh. Yeah, like just trying to turn it back on them and be like, are you serious right now? Can we not have this conversation? That's that's typically how I respond to it, especially when it's from family members. But I don't really think I've encountered strangers doing diabetes jokes in my presence. It wasn't necessarily so much strangers as more of like school kids who I knew who knew mm. that I had diabetes, but would choose kind of to selectively ignore that. Yeah. More so when it does come to family, like, I was very fortunate to be have a family who's so supportive and they're like, if you don't think it's funny, then it's just, it's not. So my brother was always really good about it. And he would sometimes stick up for me and be like, well, that's not funny. You know, like when we were <laughs> hanging out together and his friends would like, his friends or my friends would make like a stupid joke or something. And I remember one time he was like, 
you did not just say that. Like, it was just like an epiphany moment. I remember one time he had of like, that was the dumbest joke I think I've ever heard ever. And I was just like, thank you, Charlie. You're very educated. I really appreciate you. I do remember that when we were growing up, my sister was like, I'm the only person who's allowed to beat up on Colleen. And so therefore that also meant nobody else could make diabetes jokes. (laughs) So people kind of knew that. Okay, talking now about spouses and significant others. The first one I have on this list is figuring out who is responsible for what. So who is responsible for calling the insurance company, for making sure the prescriptions are refilled, for scheduling doctor appointments, for changing infusion sites and sensors. Sometimes spouses can help with that. For us, at least, there are certain times where if my blood sugar is going too low or too high right when I go to bed, I ask my husband to check in on my blood sugar in like an hour or two hours. And if it's below a certain threshold, then he wakes me up. Or if it's above a certain threshold, then he wakes me up. That also means that I don't let him bolus for me because I'm not comfortable with not knowing exactly how much insulin is going in at any given time. So that's just falling under who is responsible for what. I am always responsible for dosing decisions. Even when we're in the car, if I hand my pump to him and ask him to see what it wants to give me, he'll like press all the buttons because he knows how to do that. But when it, when it gets to the, the dose calculation, I'll either say, yeah, okay, do that, or no, please change it and uh, not have him have the responsibility of deciding what to give my give me for insulin. And that's going to be a comfort level thing. You might be a little bit more comfortable with a spouse or a significant other making those dosing decisions for you. Just make sure you know what you're going into with that and keep your doctor informed if possible. I would also say they might not be comfortable doing certain stuff either. And that's totally fine. Like if I had a friend of mine and I just handed them my pump. was like, can you put in 15 carbs for me? They've seen me do it a hundred times. I've walked them through it a hundred times. They've done it before. And I was just driving and they were like, right now, I'm not quite comfortable with it. I was like, okay, oh, no problem. Yeah, let me grab that back from you. Let me just do this really fast. Make sure I had them help me in a different way mm-hmm. rather than helping me with the medical side of things. Or, you know, if they're... When it comes to like grabbing stacks or something, yeah, they should be totally fine with that. And if they don't, that's a problem. But when it comes to like the actual injecting or like putting the stickers on or like something like where you can definitely do it, then I would say, yeah, you and they're not comfortable. I wouldn't even like I wouldn't worry about it is what I'm saying. Yeah. And like this is kind of what happened with my husband and I when we were uh, in college together before we even started dating is if like I would do something with my pump or my meter and he would chuck a bag of fruit snacks at me. And if I chucked it back, that meant I was high. <laughs> so that was kind of like how he, how he kind of got us acquainted with the, the blood sugars at the, at the beginning. The next one here is how will you respond to stressful situations when you're low or high? Now, when you're in a low or high blood sugar, your emotions are going to be on a different register because you're also dealing with the, potential emotions coming from thoughts about how this blood sugar is wrong or how it should be different. You might be uh, frustrated or angry or irritated or upset on top of the physical symptoms that you have. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that. It's just be aware of your emotional state when you're in stressful situations, when you're high and low, because it can all compound and you might end up saying something you didn't mean or saying something you didn't like actually want to say. And so if you decide ahead of time, how you might react to these stressful situations in either state, low or high, then you can better prepare yourself for that thing down the line. 
And if you do happen to say something that you didn't mean or be grumpy or just in general not respond well, how do you want to show up afterward once you've recovered from the low or the high? Now, for low blood sugars in particular, I know it takes at least 45 minutes for the brain to fully recover from a hypoglycemic number. I'm not actually sure what the threshold is for that blood sugar, but suffice to say, if you're like below 60 and you make some not great decisions in what you say or do, it's going to take at least 45 minutes to recover from that. And you might not have full cognition or cognitive capabilities during those 45 minutes. So don't try to make any big decisions or decide what you're going to say in that recovery period. You want to figure out that thing ahead of time or wait until you're through it before you decide what to say afterward. And it might just be as simple as apologizing. There's a a marriage coach that I listen to on uh, her podcast. It's called I think it's uh, the Marriage Life Coach podcast with Maggie Reyes. And she has this rule about, like, can we do have a do-over? If, you, in, if you're in a situation where you say something or did something not in line with how you wanted to show up, then you can just reset yourself and just come back and say, can I have a do-over with that? And more often than not, the partner's going to be like, yeah, let's have a do-over. Let's change this up. And so you can do over what you had maybe said wrong during your hypo or your hyper. If you randomly start crying when you're low, because I've done this like a couple of times before, like just, just, just because like emotions are high, you don't know what you're feeling. You don't know how to feel and your blood sugar is low or high. That's okay. They can't, they just let them know, like my blood sugar is just out of whack. I'm just having a moment. Just let them know that you're having a moment too. I think is the most useful feedback I've gotten for, for a while now is just like, let them know, like, let somebody know that you're kind of going through something that they can't help with and, or like can do anything about, and then come back to the conversation of, I'm really sorry that happened. Let me explain. If you have questions, let me know. Yeah. And then the last one I have on this one is uh, establishing ground rules for events, plans, different, like maybe gatherings, etc. If your blood sugar is not where you want it to be, or if something else has happened that maybe means you need to leave immediately, like forgetting your pump when you go to church. (laughs) That happened to me. I've talked about it in a previous episode. But if you are both on the same page before you go to an event, and then you figure out that your blood sugar is not where it should be, and you need to treat it immediately or do something, then if you have those ground rules in place, or if you have like a, a code word or a signal to say, let's get out of here because my diabetes is not great or I am super tired and I just need to like not be here right now, then having those established ahead of time can make the after part so much easier. Now, friends and acquaintances, this, I guess this all kind of ties together, but what will you do when you're out with friends? This kind of uh, also applies to the, like the ground rules, but You'll need to set expectations and boundaries for yourself about how you're going to respond to different diabetes situations if you're out with friends. And that can be a little bit harder to handle because of uh, like social peer pressures where you might want to stay out with your friends, a party at like 10 p.m., but your blood sugar is 300 and it hasn't come down for two hours. So how do you want to show up to that event while you're there? knowing that you'll have to deal with some aftermath later. And maybe it's just that you decide ahead of time that you're going to leave and you'll be okay with that. Or you just decide to stay and keep pumping insulin and hope something works and also be okay with that. The key is to not be upset with yourself afterward, knowing that you made the decision while you were there or the decision ahead of time about what you're going to do and then just following through with it. 
that and yeah, that just answers the next thing I had on here, which is, are you prepared to go home if something goes wrong with your blood sugars and you're out? And I mean, we've harped on this a lot over the now almost three years that we've done this podcast is always have low snacks with you. Do not leave your house without a low snack. But that also means on the flip side, do you have something that with you to help bring your blood sugar down if it's too high, if your sight came out, if your sensor was knocked off? Do you have the necessary supplies with you when you're going out with friends to be able to handle any diabetes situation? I started bringing full sight changes with me in my hiking backpack. That doesn't mean I'll always need them and I don't always bring a vial of insulin with me, but I always have the sight change because I could just change out the sight and then just hook in the old cartridge or something like that. But if I am going on a longer hike and I'm a little bit worried maybe that I should just have extra supplies with me, then I will bring a vial of insulin. And that doesn't necessarily really apply to the friends and acquaintance side, but it could just depending on what you're doing. It could be you're going on a trip and you just want to make sure you have all of your stuff with you. But deciding ahead of time what you're willing to do or what you're not willing to do can really save you a headache if you get into a situation where you're not really sure what you quote unquote should be doing. And then be willing to follow through on that. And that's not to say that if you don't follow through, then you're a terrible diabetic. That just means that you decided not to follow through and to own that decision. I always say you should like your reasons for whatever you're doing. And that includes following through versus not following through on the plans that you've made or the decisions that you've made ahead of time. I will say, I speaking to that, there have been times where I've just stuck out the high blood sugar and hung out with my friends and then get home. I'm like, that was a huge mistake. Why did I think that was a good idea? And then I look back, I'm like, because it was a really important moment in somebody's life or somebody needed help. Not that you know you should put others before yourself when it comes to your health. But just sometimes that risk definitely outweighs the reward that you get. And just remember that I will say this, as I'm entering my 20s here in a couple of months, the consequences to your blood sugars, like the aftermath of it, definitely starts catching up with you the longer that you've had diabetes. I'm really starting to learn that. And it's been a very painful process, but it does catch up to you. So just remember that. And yeah, you should be fine after that point. <laughs> and that also reminds me of the time where I was in college and my my blood sugar just would not come down. And so I just left during a group, group meeting. I mean, I was like, hey, guys, my blood sugar has been 300 for like three hours and it's not coming down. I feel like crap. So I'm going to go home and sleep it off. And they were fine with it. It was just being honest with them and myself that really helped. Yeah, honest, like generally honesty will overall be the best policy because people want you to be healthy and happy and like they totally understand what you're going through. Okay. So coworkers, colleagues, and fellow students. So how much information should you be sharing with these very important people in your lives? As much as you want to, and you can always say no to answering questions. And if you're in the middle of something, just let them know I'm in the middle of something. I can totally answer this at a different time. Just give me like XYZ amount of time or shoot me an email and I can totally explain this. I will say though that when it comes to fellow students, they might be a little bit nosier just because there's no like professionalism when it comes to being a student. It's just everybody's hanging out with everybody and it can look different when it comes to like different levels of education. So elementary schoolers might ask all of the the crazy questions, whereas college kids, some of them might not have experienced diabetes at all in their life and don't understand stuff that you're going through. So there's different levels to that. 
whereas coworkers, there is a certain level of professionalism and there is that like almost threat of HR, but there's a boundary already in place for you there. I would also be sensitive to people possibly being diabetics in the wild who have noticed you. So don't just meet every question with a, I'm not going to talk to you because like, I don't want to talk about my diabetes, but be allowing that curiosity about, oh, why are you asking? And if they say something, oh, I noticed your your, uh, continuous glucose monitor, I saw the tubing peeking out, then that presents an opportunity to connect with another type one diabetic instead of uh, cutting them off. Exactly. And also being mindful if they're busy doing something. Like, for example, I saw my neighbor walking across the street who I haven't met yet, but she had her dog with her and she was training. And I noticed a patch on her arm. I was like, oh, she's probably got type 1 diabetes. Did not say anything because one, she was training her dog. She was walking across the street and not the best time to make a connection when I'm yelling out of my car to a lady on the side of the road. So like just spatial awareness always good. And they might not be as spatially aware as you, but yeah, just remember that. And then how to respond. So when it comes to, is this question appropriate or not? I would definitely think about like where you're at setting wise before you respond to the question. So if your teacher's asking you something in the middle of class, because your pump went off and she has a question really quick, just be like, oh, it's a little bit of long of an answer, but I... We'll definitely answer your question after class, or I can come talk to you after class. Or, you know, say a student asked you something like, Hey, I noticed your patch. Can I ask what it is? Just be like, Yes, but just not right now. So, setting that boundary of like, Yes, you can def, if you want to answer, yes, you can definitely answer. I'm just busy at the moment and you can come talk to me here in a second. Or if you do want to answer and totally respond, go for it. Or if you don't, just be like, I'm not quite... You don't even have to respond. Just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just diabetic and leave it at that and kind of cut off the conversation. And then how do you respond to accusations or intrusive questions? Like, oh, you get diabetes because you were fat as a child. Well, that's not true. Or just be like, huh... You know, that's an interesting thought, but that's actually, I don't think that's right. And kind of explain why that's wrong, but definitely say that's wrong. But also if you're getting intrusive or accusatory questions in a workplace setting, that is a great opportunity to really question why they are comfortable asking questions like that. And that might be an opportunity to take it to HR or talk to your manager about it and just be like, this person said this thing about my type 1 diabetes, and I was not comfortable with it, and I am unsure if they are doing similar things to other people. So just being uh, cognizant of what is appropriate for different situations and what your options are to be able to report something if something does happen like that. Also a good resource for students is counselors, school officers, principals, vice principals, the school nurse, if you are still in either public or private education, those are really good uh, resources that are meant to protect you. Like, I don't know if the AD, like the Americans with Disabilities Act covers kind of that stuff, but people who are in your life who know you're diabetic and might know your comfortability level a little bit more are there to advocate for you if you don't feel comfortable maybe having that like uncensored conversation with somebody. And then, okay, what's okay for people to ask about versus what they're not supposed to ask about? So visible tubing sensors and pumps, 
honestly, sometimes can kind of be fair game depending on the setting. Like if you're in the workplace and you're having like a full on meeting with somebody and there's a present presenter and somebody's randomly asking you about your pump, like that's not an okay thing to ask right then. But if, oh, I saw you walking down the hallway and I saw your insulin pump or they ask about it, like, hey, what is that thing? If they can see it, honestly, I would say it's almost fair game. But if you're not comfortable, then you're not comfortable and you don't have to answer questions. Absolutely. Like you don't need to at all. But I will say if you... Oh, it's just something private if you're not comfortable like answering those questions or like if you somebody can see your tubing or something like that. And then from there, just move on with your life and kind of go from there. <laughs> and then testing yourself... And taking shots, I would say if you want to do it privately, I would take it to your desk and be like, I'm busy. Or like if you have a sign being like back in five, something like that, where you can have some sort of insured privacy. Or if you're totally comfortable just doing it out in public, go for it. Another kind of... What was one that I saw that was really good? It was somebody took their blood sugar and... They were, I think their coworker came up to them and they were like, clearly they were busy. Like the diabetic was clearly busy. And then the coworker came up to them and they were like, oh, what's that? And the guy was new and stuff like that. So he was just like, it's private. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. Bye. Stuff like that, where it's like, it really just depends on the situation when it comes to like the level of privacy or not that you might have. I would talk to, if you're going into a more professional setting, like having really professional coworkers and stuff like that, just be like, Hey, I'm diabetic. I'm not comfortable sharing that with people. Is there a space that I can go take care of myself? Like with change outs, shots and testing my blood sugar where people can leave me alone for five minutes and I can just take care of this and get back to work. There, most companies will be willing to accommodate that in some way, shape or form. And then when it comes to alarms going off, a good boundary to set with this is having your pump on vibrate is always a really good option for this. If you don't want people asking about it or having it on a really low volume to where you are the only person to hear it or only having your phone go off too. Some people don't ask about it. Sorry, these are just ways to avoid having questions asked, not necessarily like putting up the boundary necessarily, but Overall, if you're not comfortable sharing about your diabetes necessarily like to anybody except for HR and your manager, that's what I would do. But if you are comfortable with it, I would have like a big group meeting with either your coworkers, your fellow students, just be like, hey, I have type 1 diabetes. If you hear my alarm go off, please ignore it. It has nothing to do with like our work at all and shouldn't affect the way that kind of our outcome to this project is stuff like that to where you can be like, this is the firm boundary. Please don't ask about it. Let's just move on. You know, that kind of a thing. I had my uh, pump alarm set to vibrate, but it would also, it would beep if you didn't clear the first one. And so that was interesting during the first presentation I gave in front of 160 people with the like 45 minute memorized presentation and my blood sugar went high because of adrenaline. And every five minutes, it beeped into my lapel mic. <laughs> and when I asked people afterward, if they heard it, they're like, no, didn't hear a thing. And I'm like, are you, are you, wow. So I had just spent like the whole presentation hoping nobody actually heard 
<laughs> beeping underneath my underneath my shirt. But even if people did ask about it, I'd be like, oh, that's my insulin pump. I had an adrenaline high. It's just yelling at me and it's fine. And then excusing yourself to take care of higher bl- low blood sugars, that should be normal. Like you should be able to feel comfortable enough to wear like, oh, I'm low or like, oh, I need to go take care of something and then just walk out either of the classroom, of a meeting, just be like, can you take notes for me really fast? I have to go take care of this or something where you can excuse yourself really fast without necessarily getting too descriptive about it. If you don't want to be, or you're like, diabetes is killing me right now. I got to go for just like a second. I'll be back. So something like that, where you can still kind of be engaged, but at the same time, take care of yourself. And now we're going one level up from the coworkers and colleagues and fellow students to managers and professors, because that's kind of like an authority level above you. Uh, We've done an episode on uh, corporate with type 1 diabetes, and we've talked a lot about your comfort level with talking to your manager about you having type 1 and setting up accommodations with HR and all that kind of stuff. But there are possibly some situations where a manager or a professor might do something that prevents you from taking care of yourself. So the boundary or expectation to set here is your response if or when that happens. So for example, if you have a manager that's not letting you take breaks to test your blood sugar, to correct lows, to correct highs, to basically just take care of yourself as a type 1 diabetic, that's a problem that needs to go to HR and you need to get accommodations in place. If you have professors who are really strict about having food and water in the classroom and they do not want to see you eating anything, even if it's for a low blood sugar, then that's a a problem that you have to take to your accommodations office and like get the support and the help you need because people, honestly, in my opinion, people who are trying to prevent you from taking care of yourself in those situations are kind of on power trips and they don't want anybody to go against what they believe is like the rule of their domain. And that means you need to be able to stand up for yourself. And we'll have an episode in a few weeks about self-advocacy, which talks about that. And just being willing to, being really just, just to stand up for yourself in any of these situations where your health is at risk. I will say though, when you're in like a lab setting, like if you're a STEM major or something like that, and they ask you to leave water bottles and snacks outside of the classroom, or like the lab, like I had to have, had to have a lab, dry lab where you couldn't have like any food or snacks just being like, okay, that's cool, but I might have to go outside. Can I leave the door open at least? And finding some like middle ground like that to where you can still get the information you need, but also go take care of yourself. And most TAs are pretty cool about that and will let you work with it. Yeah. And it's, it's really about being honest and being willing to work together to find solutions I'm talking about more if it's just a straight power trip, like, no, you can't have your food in this classroom. I don't care if you have type 1 diabetes, blah, blah, blah. So that that would be when you want to take it to like HR or the accommodations office just to make sure you're getting the support you need, because that's I think that's kind of on the level of discrimination. And we really don't want you to have to deal with that. And I mean, it just comes back to, again to how much are you willing to tell them about your type 1 diabetes? At least for me in high school, especially, I gave all of my teachers a package of low snacks. So I could just go up to their drawer, like their desk drawer and grab something, an apple juice if I was low and there was no questions asked. They're like, okay, sounds good. It's just your comfort level and your relationship with the people that you're working with or the people that you're being taught from. And now we have doctors, which is like the most fun section. So I've had a lot of interactions recently on Instagram with newly diagnosed type 1 diabetics who are really struggling to 
figure out how to get the emotional support they need because the doctors that they are seeing upon diagnosis are not offering it for them. So I've been trying to figure out what are some other ways to talk about accessibility with mental health support and the doctor. But it really starts off with knowing when you're uncomfortable by how the doctor is talking to you. There's going to be a big difference between a doctor who knows you well versus a new doctor. Because with new doctors, especially if you're moving to a different state for a new job or you're going to a college town for nine months out of the year, having an established doctor means that they know you really well. They know your preferences. They know your goals, especially your health goals. And they can they can talk to you in ways that support you. But in any new doctor situation, you might have an instance where the doctor thinks they know better than you. That because they have certain experiences or certain biases that you don't have any awareness of, and they just don't know you as a, as a, as a patient. And so understanding that your comfort level with how the doctor is speaking to you is going to depend on your relationship with that doctor. And maybe you just need to stick it out for a few months for that doctor to get to know you better. But there's a difference between a doctor who is condescending to you in the office and a doctor who is curious about you in the office. So I would prefer to have a doctor who's curious. I hope all people who listen to this podcast have curious doctors, but that's highly likely it's not the case. And you also want to be aware of the synergy of your health expectations. Is that doctor working with you or is he, he or she expecting you to follow instructions without question? Because that's going to go back to the doctor who knows you well versus the doctor who doesn't. If they're working with you, that means it's more likely they're going to be talking to you with respect and compassion and empathy and curiosity, and not so much as the I'm the authority, do what I say, the reason that you're not healthy is because you're not listening to me. Just make sure you know what the what the dynamic is in that doctor-patient relationship, and know at any time you have the ability and the authority to fire your doctor. And we have, I have definitely recommended to some people that you should probably fire your doctor. And remember, this is not medical advice. You always want to take into account what your doctor is actually saying and take, like, I want to say take everything with a grain of salt because at some level, I do think our doctors have failed us. But I mean, they are still an authority for how to treat you medically because we can't do that. I also want you to be aware of your comfort level during appointments. So even if a doctor is speaking to you in a way that seems like it should be okay, energy is a thing. And like like Jesse says, if you're not vibing, <laughs> say goodbye. <laughs> so you need to you need to figure out what is your comfort level with the different energy in the room, with the different with the, the different vibes in the room about are you just not clicking? Is there just something not here? If that's the case, leave find a new doctor. And that might be your threshold for changing doctors. You want to decide for yourself how much leeway will you allow for any of these things to keep going on before you decide to fire a doctor and find a new one. Usually I would say overall, give it the second, the end of the second appointment and then two hours after. By that time, you'll definitely know of, oh, you suck. Or, oh, I'll stick with them. You're great. You know, that kind of a thing. So if you feel like, and I've done this too before where I've stuck with somebody like way too long than I should have. And I should have just seen the red, like I saw the red flags, but I chose to ignore them. Don't ignore the red flags. They're there for a reason. And yeah, if you're not vibing with them, you do not have to stay with them. So yeah. Okay. Strangers. Woohoo. We all love diabetics in the wild. And that's pretty much what this is. So how do you respond to questions? 
you can respond a couple of different ways. Like if you're really in the mood to answer questions, absolutely go full in depth, but keep it kind of more on the lighthearted side, I would say, because it can really freak some people out of like being exposed to so much medical information all at once. You can be like, oh, I'm busy. I really have to go, you know, like, oh, Google it. It has a lot of answers. You know, you can point them in another direction to get information or you can do even something in between of like explaining it and then being like, yeah, I'm really sorry. Here's my Instagram. If you have more questions, let me know. Stuff like that where you can like either have an easy out or if you want to have a full in-depth conversation, you totally can. Which kind of goes into leaving when you feel unsafe if the immediate second where you feel uncomfortable about asking a spe- answering a specific question about yourself, your diabetes, or your life, that's a good time to leave. And just what you can do is be like, look at your phone really fast. And doesn't matter what time it is. Just be like, oh my God, I didn't realize the time. I really have to get going. Or like if you're in line to get a cup of coffee and there's answer, like you're still being kind of harassed about a certain level of questions and stuff like that being like oh my coffee's here i gotta go i'm really sorry and then just leave or if you want to stay and be like i'm really sorry i'm meeting somebody and i've got some work to get done before they get here and just go on your phone literally just go on your phone it's a great way to end a conversation and this is also a good place to keep in mind the kind of the rule in bars for like like women supporting women if a guy is hitting on a girl and she is not having any of it and he keeps being insistent then that's the opportunity for you as the other girl in the situation to be like, Hey, how are you? Haven't seen you in a long time. And just kind of breaking up the tension. If you're the kind of person who's comfortable helping in those situations, maybe that's what you do when this happens and you see it in the wild. And it's not necessarily happening to you is be willing to break the tension to help somebody else. And that just, that goes for really any tension situation, not just on unwanted questions about type 1 diabetes because you don't really have to know what's going on. You just have to know that one person is uncomfortable and the other person is not paying attention to that uncomfortableness. And there's an opportunity to break that tension by interrupting. And then choosing whether to engage or not. That usually like is a split second decision most of the time when they're like, hey, can I ask you? Or like, oh, I noticed this. What is it? And if you're in the mood to answer questions, great answer the questions. If you don't want to for literally any reason or just don't feel safe, just be like, oh, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Or like, it's kind of a private matter and then move on. If they start making it a big deal, then I would get help and be like, make an excuse and leave. But if you're willing to answer questions too, go for it. All right. Now it's your turn. What are some minimum baseline boundaries that you can set in your diabetes life today? What expectations do you have for yourself around how you manage type 1 diabetes? Making these decisions ahead of time can save you a lot of grief down the line. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Are you ready to feel better with type 1 diabetes without changing how you manage it? You too can go from resenting the highs and the lows to never again feeling like it's dragging your emotions behind the worst roller coaster ever. It starts with a free call. Ready to live your life without worrying about what your CGM says? Head to inspiredforward.com slash coaching to get started.